May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. The beginning of the good news or gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So begins Mark's gospel. Matthew and Luke start with genealogies and birth stories. John starts with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and so on. But Mark starts with, the beginning of the good news, or gospel, of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I wonder how we read that. Is that a, uh, indicating that this is the beginning of the story, or what is it? Why did he put that in there? Well, in all likelihood, it's probably the title of his gospel, rather than the first line. So we should actually announce the gospel reading each Sunday, the gospel according to Mark, titled, The Beginning of the Good News, or Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And it's important that we notice that that's the title, because it means that the whole book is the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's not saying the next couple of verses from Isaiah at the beginning. He's saying the whole book is the beginning. And that should change how we read Mark. So the first verses we read this morning about Isaiah and John the Baptizer are really the beginning of the beginning. The story that Mark is telling is just the beginning of the good news. And the good news carries on well beyond what he writes. And that's important when we get to the end. But that's for Easter. We're still at Christmas. Well, we're still at Advent. So we'll worry about that then. We often say that Mark invented this new genre of writing called gospel or good news. And in many ways that's true. There wasn't the kind of book around that uh, Mark wrote, which was about that person and, um, and declaring the good news declared in that person. But in many ways it's not true. There were other things that were also called good news. It was a common term. And so the official proclamations from the Roman Emperor, whose title includes Son of God, were called good news. The good news according to Caesar Tiberius, son of God. Just think about that title for a moment. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, son of God. And place that alongside the good news according to Caesar Tiberius, son of God. And then think about the fact that tradition says Mark is writing this in Rome, the centre of the Roman world. Think about how subversive Mark is being in writing this book. How outrageous he is. He is saying this is an alternative to the dominant worldview of our time. We, the followers of Christ, have to see the world differently. And then we think about the Christians who support Donald Trump because, well, he's the most powerful person on earth 
and we wonder where we've gone wrong, really. We should be the ones declaring the alternative worldview. But good news was also what came from the battlefield. Well, if you won, it was the good news that came from the battlefield. I don't think they called it good news if you lost. And the reality is that people were looking for good news. Good news of God coming in victory over the Romans. If only, if only they were righteous enough. But when Mark was writing his gospel, the opposite had happened. Rome was in the process of, or had just completed, reconquering both Judea and Galilee. They were in the process of, or had completed, destroying Jerusalem after a long and deadly siege and demolishing the temple and then enslaving hundreds of thousands of Jews and pushing the rest out of those areas. They were waiting for good news, but Mark is offering an alternative good news, and he starts his good news with Isaiah. So let's have a look at Isaiah for a moment. Do you remember playing hide and go seek? Counting up to ten or a hundred and then calling out, coming, ready or not. And the hunt was on. And usually the little ones are easy to find because they quite like being found. So they squeal with delight and you just have to follow the, the little squeals. And they get a little annoyed if you don't find them and they go, I'm over here. But the older ones, they're sneakier and harder. And sometimes you actually have to say the game is over, you have to come out now. And then sometimes you're so busy trying to find the right place that when you hear those words coming ready or not, you're a bit stuffed because, well, you haven't found any place. And this is not good news that they're coming because you're in the not category. Well, this passage from Isaiah is God declaring coming ready or not. This passage we heard from Isaiah, which Mark kind of quotes. So when he says, as the prophet Isaiah said, he then proceeds to quote Deuteronomy with a little sprinkling of Malachi in there. And then the second verse that he quotes is from Isaiah. But he just pretends the whole lot's from Isaiah. So we'll, we'll ignore the kind of Deuteronomy, Malachi one and just go straight to the Isaiah one. That passage, that verse comes from the beginning of 2nd Isaiah. So 2nd Isaiah was written probably uh, towards the end of the exile. So to put that in context, we have David the great king and he was wise and all great and he had a united kingdom. Then we have Solomon who was supposed to be wise but actually turned out to be not so wise and by the time he died the northern tribes, the ten northern tribes, were almost an open revolt, but they thought they'd just hang on to see what his son was like. Well, his son was worse than his father, so they said, we're out of here. And they set up their own kingdom called Israel, and that was up in Samaria, and they had their own centers of worship because they worked out if people kept going back to Jerusalem to worship, this alternative northern kingdom wasn't going to last very long. And that was probably the most powerful and glorious of the two kingdoms until the Assyrians came and destroyed that. And then that, that's the end of those ten tribes. And then the Assyrians come down, but then they have to go home. And so the southern tribe, the two southern tribes centered on Jerusalem, continue with the line of David. And they think all is well with the world. 
until the Babylonians come. And then they conquer them and they take all the leaders off, but they leave a puppet king in place. But the puppet king doesn't want to be a puppet king, so he decides he's going to be a king without the Babylonians. So the Babylonians come back and they kill him and all his family. And then there's a second exile and the temple is destroyed. So we're in this period when the exile is on. And this is towards the end of the exile. And it's been suggested that one of the ways we can understand this passage is that God has counted and has said, coming ready or not for the exiles. In fact, God is more than coming according to Isaiah. God is rushing headlong for the exiles and nothing but nothing is going to get in the way of God. Not valleys, not hills, not mountains. God is coming ready or not, which is a great image unless you're like the kids still trying to get it all together in which case it's not such good news. In fact, it might even be bad news. Because the truth was that not all the exiles were ready. The exile was understood as God's punishment for the abject failure of the Hebrew people to live as the people of God. They had not lived as people living in the presence of God. And so they'd been sent into exile, into punishment, And they were given a chance to mend their ways. But the truth was, not a lot had changed from when they'd first come to Babylon. Sure, some were still devout, and they are the ones who are at the heart of the scriptures as they emerge at this time. This is a really important time for the writing of the Old Testament as we have it. Although it was harder for them without the temple. Others still paid lip service to the demands of law, but they still didn't treat others well, and they did not treat the poor well, and they were still in it for themselves. And sadly, many others had done what all conquered peoples do, and had decided that their God wasn't as good as the God of the conquerors, clearly because, well, the conqueror's God had just conquered them, so their God had been conquered as well. So they said, well, enough of my God, who's clearly weak. I am going to go and worship the strong God. So they had gone and worshipped the gods, the Babylonians, particularly the head god, Marduk. But people could see what was happening. Babylon was falling. Persia was rising. Persia was the new power in town. And the Persians were known for letting the exiles return home. So how were the exiles supposed to make sense of this? Because they clearly weren't ready And yet, they were going home. Well, the exile is important because up until the exile, the law and the stories had all been oral. Some of it had been written, but a lot of it was oral. And so it's during the exile that we get the first five books. They are written during this time. And they're not made up at this time. They use the oral sources. They use the old written sources that they have. But this is where they are pulled together into what we now call the first five books of the Bible. Everything is codified. If you got it so wrong the first time, if you ever go home, you've got to make sure you know exactly what you have to do so you don't get it wrong again. You don't want to go through that process. So the law is written. So there's no discussion about what's going to happen. But also the theology starts to change. 
Because really, up until the exile, God had simply been the God of the Jewish people. One of a pantheon of gods. And theirs was the most important, and theirs was the cool God, but there were all these other gods. But, but their God was just for them. But somehow, during the exile, when everyone else was giving up on their gods, the Hebrew people said, you know what? Our God isn't just our God. Our God is the God, and the God of all people, and the God of all creation. That's a really big theological step. I think sometimes we have this idea, we look back and we think, oh, those Hebrew people saw God the same way we do. But the reality is our understanding of God is constantly changing as we encounter and experience God in new ways. Our focus changes as we see a different side of God. We understand God more deeply. And the exile was one of those moments where the Hebrew people saw God in a whole new light and their understanding of God and their theology changed. So the first thing they did in light of this, well, we've been punished and we were supposed to get ready, but we're not ready and God is coming and we're going back from exile, was to affirm God's sovereignty, that God was in charge of everything. God had sent them into exile. God was taking them out of exile. And second, Isaiah shouts his statement, God is coming, ready or not. And the second was to shift away from the reward, the strict reward-punishment understanding of God. And that's how they understood the exile. They had behaved badly, they got punished, they got sent into exile. When they behaved well, they would get rewarded and they would get to go home. But now that's changing because they were still behaving badly and they were going home. So they needed to rethink that theology. Because, well, God wasn't waiting around. God wasn't waiting until they were ready. God was coming, ready or not. And so they had to rethink who God was. God was more than just a God who rewarded good behaviour. God is a God of mercy and grace. And God's mercy and grace is at work here. God is forgiving them long before, well, long before they even knew that there was something wrong. God loved them before, well, even before there was a people. And God continues to love even in the darkest hour. This sovereign God is a God of mercy and love and grace, a God of generosity. And this God is coming, ready or not. And this God will stop at nothing to find them. And this is how Mark starts his gospel. This is how Mark starts the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. God is coming, ready or not, because God is a God of generosity and forgiveness and love and shalom and aroha. God is not waiting around for people to be ready. God, for people to be good enough to deserve God's blessing. God is coming. God is continuing with plan A. The plan at work since the beginning, the plan implicit in Isaiah, God's first thought of God's self-giving love, drawing all to God's self. Mark understood that they were living in the presence of God, living as people made in the image of God. And 
they were being invited to treat others as also made in the image of God, deserving of God's mercy and love and grace. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This Sunday is the second Sunday of Advent, Peace Sunday, and we have lit the peace candle and will pray for peace. Mark began his gospel by subverting the dominant worldview of his time. How is he subverting our worldview? How is God subverting our hopes for peace this Christmas? I wonder where we see God's coming, ready or not, bringing peace. I wonder how we experience that in our lives. And I wonder how we are being invited to respond. Are we ready? Are we ready to be found by this God of peace this Christmas? It doesn't matter, because God has come, ready or not.